So it's not about how do I get one customer? How do I increase revenue or chasing all these different things? It's what system can I create? And it's going to result in more customers like this, more revenue, right? So it's not about find this customer, then the next customer, then the next customer. It's write these kind of blog posts, which attract this customer and we get these results. Then I write a case study and then I promote that case study on my blog, which attracts these kind of customers, right? And so you, you're doing the same activities over and over again, rather than spinning your wheels or, or turning in all these different directions. Welcome to episode two of season seven of Live in the Feast. I'm Jason, AKA Rez, helping you grow your business by having a conversation with someone who's been there, had success, and built the business designed around the life they want to live. That's Live in the Feast. If this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button so that you get notified every time a new episode drops. Live in the Feast is in your podcast app of choice. If it's not, let me know and I'll get it there for you. If you've heard the show before, why not leave us a review on iTunes or drop us a comment in on Breaker or CastBox. Today's co-host is Nathan Barry. Nathan is the founder of ConvertKit and ConvertKit's mission is to help creators earn a living. Many of you know ConvertKit as an email marketing platform, and this conversation is so awesome. We actually tailed off the business conversation a bit, and you will hear how Nathan's defining moments in life is playing out through the business. In this episode, we dive into knowing who your ideal client is not is sometimes the way to figuring out who it is. We also dive into some exercises that Nathan has done to figure out what types of projects and customers to work with. And as I mentioned, we dive into a bit of a sidebar on how to ask yourself some questions that have shaped your life and questions that you can really level up the conversations you have with not just business folks and colleagues, but also your friends and family. This is a great one. So here's Nathan. Hey, Feasters, welcome to another episode of Live in the Feast, and I am really super excited to have Nathan on the show. Welcome, Nathan. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, I really wanted to have you on to talk about the ideal client because you've sort of run the gamut, right? Like you were a blogger and you're a designer, and now you've, you've transitioned to build products in that space, but then you've now built ConvertKit, and so the ideal customer is always this fuzzy thing that's almost like right. a, a treasure island, if you will. Like if you don't have one, you're like, how do you get that? And so um, I thought you'd be perfect to talk about this. Um, so first off, who is your ideal customer? Yeah. So for us, um, for ConvertKit, it's creators, which is obviously a really broad term, um, but creators who are specifically trying to reach, you know, grow and reach their audience. So you end up with like sometimes it's easier to define it based on who it's not, right? And, and so for us, you know, on one end, right, we, at the high end, we've got Tim Ferriss as a customer, right? And so what makes him ideal is that he's growing a, a giant email list, but running a small team. And that might be opposed to like, um, 
a magazine or a, a TV network, right? Where they would have that same level of reach, but they'd have a 15 person marketing department mm -hmm. and they would be inclined to use a totally different kind of tool or like at the small end, you know, say like someone who's built a couple thousand email subscribers and they're putting out, you know, their podcast episodes or blog posts or things like that, but they're more selling like digital products versus selling not necessarily consulting the same way, but, but they're not trying to make one off sales as much, right? Cause someone that would not be a good fit is somebody who is like wants a lot more CRM function. Like, okay, Jason and I just got off the phone. Let me log the notes. I think I can close this deal, right? Cause a lot, our tool is built for people who are like, Hey, I've got a thousand people on this list. I want to see how many of them I can get to buy my $40 course. Right. So that's kind of the thing we, we range it in creators. And, uh, then the cool thing is we get to work with a lot of people where we're like really proud to have them as customers. And we get excited about that side of things. So before ConvertKit, designer, you wrote a book, yep. um, blogger. Tell me a little bit about how you, did you even think about the ideal customer at that point in time when you were first starting down this, hey, digital marketing landscape, if you will? No, I don't think I did. Um, well, maybe that's not true. Let, let me think back, right? So getting started building an email list, one of the first things that, that I did when I knew I was going to focus on app design and development, you know, I, am, I knew I was going to write a book called, a, I ended up calling it the App Design Handbook about iOS design. I did outline it of like, okay, who is this for? Because I did know that it, it wasn't going to be for professional designers who are wanting to further their iOS design career. Hmm. So I kind of outlined two, two avatars for it. One would be developers who um, are getting into building iPhone apps and want to be able to design their own design their own apps and you know make it look better and that kind of thing mm -hmm. if they're not working with a designer. And then the other side would be, you know, new designers getting into app development. Maybe you're an experienced designer or an intermediate designer, but you're new to the iOS world. Or maybe you're just brand new because so many people have an idea for an app. Right, right. And so that's kind of how I narrowed it down of I wanted it to be able to serve, I guess it's three different avatars, right? The developer the new designer, and then also kind of the business person who's like, I got an idea for an app. How do I do it? And I could take them through those wireframing stages. And so then with those avatars, I could really outline, you know, the types of content for them. And then with my next book, which was on designing web applications, I actually wrote that to my brother-in-law hmm. because he knew web design and he was learning that, but he was starting to get into user experience and things that are specific to designing software. And it made it much easier for me to write the book when I... I, there's some times where I would write Philip, comma, enter, enter, and write that chapter to him, which is, that's advice I think I first heard from Tim Ferriss, and I think he got it from Anne Lamott, but of writing it to a specific person. And so having that avatar in your head works really well, and I've used it a lot. Mm. So that book, I guess, the second book flowed a lot easier than the first one because of that, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because you're just thinking like, okay if you and I were to sit down and you're going to teach me something, right? That's way easier. You're like, okay, let me think about Nathan's business. Okay. This is what I'm going to teach you. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's just, it's off the cuff. It flows easily. Right. Like it's just a much more natural conversation. Whereas you getting up to present this imaginary, you're like trying to imagine the, all these chairs full of people. And you're like, okay, as the professor, what should I teach? You know, versus like, I don't know, you and I were hanging out in New York. What was that four or five months ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, sitting at the bar, having a natural conversation, like it's so easy. And, and so you take like that mindset and then you should be like, cool, 
what's the teaching version of that? Yeah. And it's way easier when you know your persona. Because there's that context. You kind of understand that person a little bit more. And there's like a specificity to it that you can say then, hey, look, I know that there's a gap here. You know, like you're saying, like Jason has a gap in this knowledge base that I can fill and I can speak to that. So I'm curious because you mentioned that ConvertKit now is targeted towards creators and that's a broad audience, right? I mean, you have that video series that talks like about, you know, tells the stories of so many different people of different walks of life, like Lego brick guy and like, you know, like all of these athletes and things of that nature, like, like it just seems so vast and different. So how are you targeting the actual doing of the person, right? Like the action, what is it that they're actually doing? And you said that they're looking to grow their email list and grow their right. audience and sell their thing. Is that how you narrow the focus of that ideal customer? Yeah, there's part of that. Um, it's just that we're trying to figure out how exactly to phrase, but it's really these this group of people who they're creators, right? They make things on a regular basis but also they have, they have something that they want to share. Like they have a voice that they want to put out there. And so if I were to sum it up, it'd be like creators with something to say. Mm. And like, that's still incredibly broad, right? Because if you look at the I'm a blogger project, which you're referencing, and if anyone wants to look, we can throw the link in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Those are all free to watch online and all that. I am a blogger.co. But right. You've got the fantasy footballers who run a fantasy football right. podcast. You've got um, Vanessa Levin who runs a site called Pre-K Pages where she's making hundreds of thousands of dollars helping kindergarten and preschool teachers like with their classrooms, with downloadables and all that, right? The thing that's unique about all of them as you weave through all these different stories is that they're creators with a genuine passion for what they're working on. They believe that the more people they reach, like the bigger impact they can have. Mm. And then finally they believe they can earn, earn a living from it. And so they have that focus on the quality and, you know, it's interesting. And we see these same traits across all these different industries and, and everything else. And so going to the, who does this exclude? Cause I think whenever you're thinking of positioning, it's really helpful to make that list, mm. right? The people that it excludes is anyone who's in the, the get rich quick side of things, or we always, there's a joke from a long time ago. We always refer to it as buy the list, burn the list. The people who like, they're just an email list to them is just um, dollar signs. And they're just like, however you acquire the people on the list and then you pitch them as hard as possible. And you're like, well, that's, that's done. Now we got to burn the list and do it all over again. And there's so many of those people out there in, in that spectrum of the internet marketing, get rich quick, like one weird trick to make more money. And we're trying to be very deliberate about excluding those people. Mm -hmm. And so while creators who have something to say, creators with a voice might seem incredibly broad, when you start to um, narrow it in that way, then you're like, okay, no, I understand who it is and then who specifically it's not. He has a great point. And as I think back on when I first decided to specialize my business, it was actually easier to define who I didn't want to work with. If you are struggling with trying to figure out who your ideal client is, whether that is you're narrowing your focus on a specific industry, a platform or tool set, I encourage you to start with those people and projects and things that you don't want to work with. 
the client quad, as I call it, is a framework that I've developed to help define my ideal client. And I teach my coaching clients and feasters like yourself how to use this framework so that it really highlights this aspect of the exercise as well. Saying no to specific projects, people, companies, beliefs, values, and objectives of others really help start to bring light to those types of clients that are made for you. If you want worksheets, exercises, and the ability to create that ideal client and precise solution to offer that client so that you can be the go-to resource and build a sustainable business, head over to feastacademy.com today. As a member, you'll get the processes and templates to not only figure out who your ideal client is and the services that you can provide to them, you'll also learn how to figure out how to price, to put a price on those services so that it makes it a complete no-brainer for the client. That's why I want to invite you to check out Feast. By using the code REDFLAG, all one word, you can get your first month for only $20. Feast is the community and resource hub for developers and designers ready to get off the project searching hamster wheel and actually run the business that they set out to build. Feast helps position you in the marketplace with what you do, who you help, and helps you build the processes and systems for client management, sales, marketing, delivery, and pricing. Your business isn't the same as everyone else's, and when you become a member of Feast, you get personalized guidance from myself. It is essential for me to meet you where you are and make sure that you are getting the exact tools so that you don't get lost in the shuffle. The moment you sign up, we're going to have a chat so that I could create a custom syllabus of resources within Feast to meet you where you are. If you want to stop chasing down that next project all the time so that you could start living your life, go to feastacademy.com and use the code REDFLAG, all one word, at checkout for your first month for only $20. I think that's so important to know, to understand who it is that you, you serve, but also who you don't serve as well. And right. yeah, it's something I've struggled with. I still do with the services side of the business. You know, almost every time a lead comes through, that's a little eh, right? Like it's like, maybe I shouldn't pick this one on. Right. So it, it's certainly a valid point there. It's funny that you mentioned about the, the traits, right? Because and the characteristics of it, because I've followed you for a long, long time. We've met now right. in New York and full disclosure, I'm a ConvertKit customer and all the rest of it. But uh, the culture that ConvertKit showcases and presents and all of that for me, attracts that vibe, right? Like it attracts right. those traits. And it's that that sincerity, that genuine nature of the whole culture and the idea of ConvertKit, the philosophy behind ConvertKit. For me, that's that's why when I get clients and they're, you know, maybe they're from a different other ESP and, yep. and they say, hey, what do you recommend? If I get their vibe, hey, ConvertKit would be a nice solution for you. And it, that's sort of like, you know, you don't know that that's a 45-year-old woman or a 26-year-old guy or, you know, like it doesn't right. matter. It's the, the characteristics and those traits. Uh, so that's what I've always struggled with. And, 
you know, defining who I serve and my ideal client. And it's what a lot of people also say. They say like these demographic things, like, I don't care if somebody's driving a Mercedes to sell my website logo design. And like that doesn't make a difference to me, right? And so it's good to hear you say that. I like to ask everybody this, this question. Mm-hmm. What is your defining moment in life so far? Oh, a defining moment. Um, I would say, I'll have to write about this more at some point, but I grew up in a family with not, uh, not much money. And so watching, there's specific moments that I could point to probably, but like watching my parents always struggle with money and that, that being something, actually probably the version of this question that I've asked people before is what's the time in your life that you said that will never be me? Mm. Because that's often a, a defining moment. Like one thing for me is watching my parents struggle with money and that being such a, a big thing. So I had this moment of like, okay, you know, maybe I'm 11 or 12 as I'm observing this and I'm going, that will never be me. When I grow up, I have no idea how, but I'm not going to struggle with money. Um, and particularly watching my parents get divorced largely through a lot of that. Mm-hmm. So that'd be one defining moment, but that's like in a story, that's the inciting incident. That's the, yeah, but how, right? <laughs> You know, and so then the next defining moment for me would come, you know, probably seven years later of reading Jason Freed and, and him talking about making money as a skill. Mm-hmm. You can get better at it over time, just like playing the drums or anything else. And it's interesting, a good friend of mine, Tim Grawl, has this as an, like, it's one of his defining moments as well. I'm going like, wait a second. Wait, what? It's a, okay. I wouldn't expect to sit down at the piano and be able to play like an amazing, piano piece from the beginning. And I shouldn't expect to, you know, jump in and be able to make money really well. And, and if you're earning a lot and I'm earning a little, then like, it's because you've built skills over time. Mm-hmm. Just like if you're incredible at playing this piano piece or like, it's because you've practiced and you've built up to it over years. And so what that does, right. If you combine these two moments is it's saying one, I never want to worry about money again. And two, it is hundred percent within my control. And it's something that I can take on and um, build from there. So that's, there you go. Two for the price of one. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I love your question too, because I know specifically, I had a very similar moment where I was, I was 14. I was a stock boy at a fabric store at the time. Okay. Um, obviously not the place a teenage boy wants to be working. Right. <laughs> but I remember specifically sitting on the floor, organizing zippers of all things and just putting yep. different colors on hooks and things. And saying to myself, I vow to myself this day that I will never work at a job that I despise getting up and doing. Right. And that for me, 14 years old, I have no idea that that's even possible. Right. Like, and this is, you know, this was pre-internet. So it wasn't like, you know, like I could just get up and the next morning and code. Right. Like, let me start a YouTube channel. (laughs) Right. Like you couldn't do this stuff. Right. And so, you know, and I was on the traditional path to go to college and and all that and sit in a cube somewhere maybe and that sort of stuff. But then when the, the internet came, when I was in college, I was like, Hey, this might be that moment. Right. Like how I could piece these two things together. And, you know, obviously it's evolved over time, but like the reason why is because I just didn't want my life to live like that. Like I didn't want to be like that. Like my mom hated her jobs. 
like and I was like she was always miserable and things of that nature like she had to you know kind of come home and decompress a little bit because she was always so stressed at work and things and so like you know I was like "Ah, I don't want that like I want to be enjoying my life and so that was that was one of those points I guess those defining moments if you will right yeah what I think I mean I'd encourage everybody listening like take some of those questions right what's the defining moment in your life what's the time that you said that will never be me Another favorite of mine is what's an early memory that uh, defined or shaped your relationship to money? Because in you know, for some people, they'll all touch on similar things. But next time you're at a dinner party, whatever else, you know, friends that like it's a super casual conversation. Like, ask one of those questions. Two other favorites. This one's from Jason Gaynard. Uh, he asks, a year from now, we're you know the same group of us are gathered together with a bottle of champagne. What are we celebrating? And it's like a way to get to hopes and dreams and aspirations. And then another really easy one is uh, uh, what's the thing you're most proud of in the last six months? Because people don't brag about themselves. And so you're like, no, 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 you have to answer this question, you know, and you get to say like, (laughs) okay, but I am really proud about this. So those are the things that like good questions like that, just like level up conversations, relationships and everything else. And you just walk away going, wow. That was that was real connection. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the reason why I like to ask that question is because while the, the podcast is a half hour, 40 minutes or so, like it's sometimes that defining moment, most times that defining moment interweaves everything that that person right. is about and how successful they are, where they go in their career, those sort of things, even if it is a personal moment, right? And so I always like to ask that question to, to just sort of get deeper, if you will, into, right. into that person's, you know, think thought process, how they think, you know, just all that sort of stuff. So John Lee Dumas, I can't credit that question. John Lee Dumas again yeah. from him. So hat to JLD on that one. You know, you're talking about it, it playing through into whatever you say or, or as like how it plays through your whole life, right? Convert its mission. You can see it on our site and everything is we exist to help creators in our living because I'm playing out that defining moment. I'm saying like, Hey, this is something that you can take in your control. You can earn a living through doing this work that you love, through things that matter to you. And you don't have to be at the mercy of some job or um, limited finances or something like that. And we're going to build the tools and training and everything to help you do that. And so you're absolutely right that like these defining moments, well, yeah, they're defining moments. They, they carry all the way through. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. And again, to uncover those character traits, right? Like one, you have a team. Right. It's not just you, right. obviously. If you don't know what ConvertKit is, it's an email marketing platform that helps you build your email marketing list. It helps you send those emails, segment, and all, all those good things, create automation and all that. But you have a team. You have a support team. You have a marketing team. You have yep. a whole bunch of other members of your team that do various different things or wear different hats in the same organization. So to put that philosophy out there and attract the team that you have you sort of had to do that ideal employee as well, right? Yeah. So there's two sides of it. One, focusing on the customer side for a second. What's really helpful is say you have at least 25 customers. Let's say we have a service business uh, designing websites. And over the last however many years, we've designed at least 25 websites. We probably don't have a lot of information on which ones we enjoyed or not, right? A few might raise the surface of like, oh, this was really fun. That's exactly the kind of work I want to do. But like not many people take that kind of approach to it. In the same way that not very many people take that approach to like how they spend their days. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I've started doing, and it sounds a little bit nerdy, is I've started rating the quality of my days. Mm-hmm. Like just one to five. Like how much did I enjoy this? Oh, today was a four out of five. 
or like middle of the road, three out of five, totally average. Cause I like, I keep this little time journal, just a little notebook of like what I spend my time on my to-do list, that kind of thing. And then at the end of the day, I just rate it three out of five. Okay. Totally in the middle of the road or whatever. Um, but if you went back and did the same thing with clients or customers of your, of your product, right? You go through and you're like one out of five, like that was a mistake. <laughs> you know, five out of five, this is the kind of work that I do. You just run through a gut feeling, right? If you pull up all those old proposals and write on, write on the top of them, you separated them into piles. Then, you know, with 20, 25 projects, you would, I bet it would become very clear the four out of five and five out of five projects. And you're like, okay, well, there's, you know, four or five proposals in those stacks. Like, let's grab those. How do I find more people like that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it becomes really easy. The question for, um, for team members is a little bit different, but a similar idea. And it's basically, you would go through and rate your team. I would not recommend like disclosing this uh, publicly, <laughs> but you would do it. The question is not how effective is this person? How good are they to work with? It's if this person switched to a key role at my biggest competitor, how upset would I be? Mm. And because if you think about it in that term, there's people who, you know what? They do a good job. They get the job done, things like that. And if they move to a competitor, you know all their weaknesses and you're like, honestly, I'm not that worried about competing against them. And there's other people where you're like, oh, hell no. Like, I need this person on my team. Like, I would freak out Mm -hmm. if they went to my biggest competitor. And that's a good lens to put it through. And then you can kind of look at, you could rate that one to five if you wanted. Then you look at, okay, who are the people that are in those buckets? Let's look back to it and make notes on how did they join the team? Were they recruited? Um, Did they come through job boards? When we were hiring them, was it immediately apparent or, or did they take time to really grow into their role? and really thrive, which is what trends can we find in that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then if I wanted to find more people like these, like these five or these 20 people or whatever, um, how would I do that? And that's how I'd go about it. Yeah. I like that. I mean, I do a similar thing about rating my days. I basically just give it three words, Mm. three adjectives. And I use notion. Now I use bullet journal for a long, long time, but I did the same thing. Notion allows me to now actually visually see, and I just give the adjectives a red, green, yellow. Okay. So that I can essentially just look at like a week and tell me how the week was just by the colors. But that allows me to then like yourself, however you want to use it. For me, I use it for how stressed am I? Am I leaning towards burnout? That was something that I had suffered for years ago and I don't ever want to go down that road again. Um, So yeah, I mean, I, I like the rating. It's something you mentioned those common things, like what are those trends with those people that you did like to work with or, you know, as far as team members or customers, right? Right. It's really to identify those trends. Was there any other sort of exercises or methods or strategies that you can think of to work through or that you researched maybe to try to figure out how to attract more customers to your products? Yeah. Well, the, I, I mean, the first thing like we've touched on is to find the ideal customers and focus on that side of it. Cause you don't actually want more customers, right? You want more of those ideal customers and the more you narrow it down and the more specific you are, the better I'll tend to map customers, like take those ideal customers and then draw Venn diagrams. There's a post I did years ago with different business models. I mean, it wasn't even business models. It was like all of my projects. Cause I got to the point where Right. I'm, I'm trying to learn how to make money. And so I'm trying all these different things. And I've got iPhone apps, I've got eBooks, I've got WordPress plugins, WordPress theme, you know, just like all these different things that I've thrown up there. And some make no money. Some are making a couple hundred bucks a month. Some are making a few thousand a month, all that kind of thing. And I put it in a Venn diagram 
or maybe it's a scatter plot. I don't know what it turned into. <laughs> it was supposed to be a Venn diagram at the start. And it was like, the idea is if I put time into marketing this one thing, how does it play over to this next thing? Right? So uh, like an example would be, if I put time into marketing my book, the app design handbook, how much benefit does it provide to my other book, designing web applications? Quite a bit because the audience is decently overlapped. Mm-hmm. But if I put effort into those two things, how much effort does it, or how much value does it provide to marketing my iPhone app used by speech language pathologists that I was actually making a decent amount of money from? Very little. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I could use it in a case study and someone's <laughs> going to be like, oh, my aunt is a speech language pathologist. And, but we're really reaching there. So in that, in that Venn diagram of the post, like there, there's a few things that are like bubbled over here and lumped together and then way off on the side right? There's this Mm -hmm. other one that, and so when I'm looking like, okay, I'm approaching burnout. I don't have enough energy to put into all these things. I'm making money from everything. I got to get rid of something. What do I do? And then by mapping it out that way, you look and it's like, oh, well, it's super obvious what I do. I go sell off this iPhone app and be done with it. Mm. Because even though it's making money, it's now about the quality of the dollar rather than other things. And so if you're looking at acquiring customers, then you want to look, am I doing it in a focused enough way that every customer that I acquire, if I do it in this way, will it make acquiring the next customer easier? So I'm a huge fan of Jim Collins and the book, Good to Great, mm-hmm. but especially his little add-on to it, which is called, I always want to say the flywheel manifesto, but I think it's actually turning the flywheel. And for anyone listening who doesn't know what a flywheel is, it's like, well, the example that I give, because um, it's my personal experience with the flywheel is years ago, I was putting in a well in uh, Lesotho, which is the landlocked country inside of South Africa. And we were there with friends who used to live there and we were helping out at this orphanage. And so we've, the drilling companies drilled like 200 feet down. They hit water, put all the pipes in and everything, and they leave and it's up to, up to us to install the pump handle and everything. <laughs> so instead of like a pump handle that you raise up and down, you know, we put this big four foot across metal wheel on top of it. And like it's super hard to turn. Like my friend and I were on each, it's got a hand on each side and we're pushing, we get it going, like bracing our feet. And then as the momentum gets going, the wheel turns mm-hmm. and instead of a pump handle, like that wheel is working it and bringing water to the surface. And it gets to the point where, you know, we can spin this thing. Like I can stand there one hand, no effort, just like spin this thing as the moment momentum continues. So Colin's point in good to great is basically like the best companies find that flywheel. So it's not about how do I get one customer? How do I increase revenue or chasing all these different things? It's what system can I create where each step moves around the flywheel and um, is going to result in more customers like this, more revenue, right? So it's not about find this customer, then the next customer, then the next customer. It's write these kind of blog posts, which attract this customer, where, you know, and then I, I do an incredible job on their project and we get these results. Then I write a case study and then I promote that case study on my blog, which attracts these kind of customers. Then I do an incredible job and then I write a case study, right? And so you, you're doing the same activities over and over again, rather than, you know, spinning your wheels or, or turning in all these different directions. Mm. And so for us with ConvertKit, you know, in that early days, I was willing to like migrate customers over and do this full switch for them for free and all that, because I knew that getting that one customer you know, it's super hard and a ton of work, but it would make getting the next customer the tiniest bit easier. And I could work that same system in that flywheel. I just didn't have the terminology because I hadn't read good to great yet. Mm, yeah. I like that. Yeah. I mean, that's for me, it's always 
doubling down on what works, right? Like right. it's essentially the same theory there. It's, you know, how do you leverage what you've done to get that next mm-hmm. one? Because that next one is the same as the first. And so if you just keep going and double down on what works rather than doing this shotgun approach of trying to figure right. out all these different things, um, which I'm my fault at. I, I do these 30 oh, yeah. day month long marketing things and, and I try them and most of them fail, but every now and then something works. Uh, so I like that. I like that a lot. So, yeah, I definitely want to be mindful of your time here. Um, I know you've had a long day, back-to-back meetings and things of that <laughs> nature. So uh, before I let you go, I mean, what's up next for the next 6, 12 months? I know you know, before we jumped on the recording here, you, you said I'm ConvertKit all day long. But is there anything special going on in the next 6, 12 months? Yeah, um, you know, on the product side, we're going all in on our landing pages and building that in. We kind of have this idea of we want ConvertKit to be the easiest way to launch your next creative project. Hmm. And so um, this year we've put a ton of effort into our landing pages and making it so you can, you know, get that ebook site up or the new podcast or whatever going really, really quickly. So we're going to do a lot to make that more accessible and, and push from there. And, you know, and then on the personal side, like uh, my wife and I have this little four and a half acre mini hobby farm. And so we do all kinds of projects on that. And so, yeah, I'm building a tiny house right now. Uh, so I'm going <laughs> to awesome. be working on that. I'm going to put it in the backyard and it's going to be my office. So there's a lot of fun cool. creative yeah. tasks going on. Um, but honestly, the defining thing of the next six months is we're having another kid uh, oh. due in December. And so congrats, congrats. That's going to be pretty much everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a five month old, so I know. <laughs> I know. That's, yep. that's why I didn't go to the conference because everything right. was lined up. I was like, yeah, this is the end of April. That's the beginning of June. That's not going to go over well with the wife. So, <laughs> yep, for sure. But yeah, congrats. That's awesome. Do you know what you're. Having or are you? Uh, we're having a third boy. Oh wow! She's so. lots of boys. Yeah, I've got two <laughs> boys now, so <laughs> so we'll. Hey, we could, we got a basketball team, right? <laughs> so that's right. Both. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, congrats on that, and uh, I know that that's going to be a handful of time and a lot of sleepless nights. So, uh, kudos to you and your family on that. Um, thanks. Thanks for uh, being here, Nathan. Where can where can folks reach out and uh, say thanks? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter, just at Nathan Berry, um, all my writings at nathanberry.com. And then my email is just Nathan at ConvertKit. Someone said on Twitter, like I'm reaching out over Twitter because I can't find your email address. And I'm like, I don't hide it. <laughs> it's my first name at mycompany.com. Um, and so anyway, happy to, happy to talk to people. I'm pretty good at responding to everything that I get. So uh, would love to talk and, and feel free to reach out. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, And thank you for your time today again, Nathan. uh, This was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks. And for everyone listening, until next time, it's your time to live in the feast. If you enjoyed today's episode, I could speak for both Nathan and myself by saying that we'd love to hear the one takeaway that you got from this episode, super simple, in the podcast app of your choice, presumably the one that you're listening to right now, drop in a comment or a review, or go ahead and share it in a tweet and tag me, at Rez, and I'll be happy to pass that along to Nathan. 
Also, hit that subscribe button so that you'll be the first to listen in next week when we'll be back with Krista Ray. Krista is a developer and podcaster, and she collaborates with designers to build websites and support their clients' goals while allowing the designers to spend more time doing what they do, and that's design. Until then, it's your time to live in the feast. Feast.